This is the Amazing Teacher Podcast with Sam Rangel, episode number 22. Welcome to the Amazing Teacher Podcast, where we sit down with amazing educators and pick their brains for tips, strategies, and ideas that you can take into your classrooms and be amazing. Now, here's your host, Sam Rangel. Welcome, amazing teachers, to the 22nd episode of the Amazing Teacher Podcast. This is Sam from successintheclassroom.com, and I want to thank you for stopping by to listen to the podcast. I am really excited about today's show. Um, Today, I have amazing teacher and fellow podcaster, Brian Stabnick, on the podcast. Brian hosts the Talks with Teachers podcast, and if you haven't heard it already, you have to take a listen. It's an awesome podcast that if you're looking for inspiration and encouragement and some amazing resources, you have to check out the Talks with Teachers podcast. Uh, Brian and I were talking before the interview, and, and we have so much in common. We're both looking for ways to share what's good in education with as many people as we can. And uh, we were talking how inspired we get with each podcast, and we mentioned that in today's show. Brian shares some amazing insights for new and soon-to-be teachers, and I know you will find great value in what he has to share. His advice about finding your top five, that is awesome. So listen, listen for that. Now, before we begin, I want to say how encouraged I am to see more teachers taking the Amazing Teacher Pledge. If you haven't already done so, head on over to theamazingteacherpledge.com and, and make the commitment to be an amazing teacher. It's free. I don't even ask for your email. Uh, you fill out a form and you get a printable certificate that you can post in your classroom that serves as a reminder of the commitment that you've made. And we need more amazing teachers like you. And our kids need more amazing teachers like you. All right. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview with amazing teacher and fellow podcaster, Brian Stabnick. Ready? Here we go. Today, I'm so happy to have on the podcast, Brian Stabnick, host of the Talks with Teacher podcast. Welcome to the show, Brian. How you doing, Sam? Hey, good, good. Did I pronounce your name right, first of all? You said it. You know, it's funny because it's a Polish last name and there's a Z right there. So yeah. if the Z is silent, you're fine. So it's just Stabnick. All right. So I did pretty good then. You did just fine. <laughs> well, thank you for making time in your busy schedule to sit down with me and let me pick your brain. Uh, it, it's so cool to have another podcaster on the show. I heard some of your episodes, and I know you have a lot to share with my audience about what you are learning from the teachers you're talking with uh, on your show. So I'm anxious, anxious to pick your brain about that. But before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your teaching career, why you became a teacher, and what is your podcast all about? All right. So I'm Brian Stabnick. I teach high school English at Miller Place High School. It's in New York. We're on Long Island. We're about an hour and 10 minutes outside of New York City. Uh, I teach AP literature. I also teach a creative writing course right now. It's a semester course. So the other half of the year, I taught a public speaking class. I also coach the varsity basketball team at my school. I've done that for eight years now. And we're in a little bit of of a lull. We've only won three games this past season, but we've had some success. We've had some low points. And I'm working hard to get us back to those high points because <laughs> it's something that I really enjoy doing. It's a great way to connect with kids outside the classroom. Yeah. My teaching career is diverse. You know, I started my first year of teaching in Harlem. I did middle school English there, got married that summer, moved back out to Long Island. And since then, I've been at a Catholic school. I've been at two public schools. But I feel like I finally found a home at Miller Place. 
Also, like you mentioned, I run the Talks with Teachers podcast. And very much like your show, I'm just looking to connect with inspiring teachers because I love what I do. I love being in the classroom. I love the 42 minutes I have with my students. And I'm always looking for new ways to engage students and other people that are inspired by what they do so that it's contagious for me because I want to learn how I can be better as a teacher. And it's just energizing to talk to people that really care about their craft. Right, right. And we were talking earlier before the show about uh, the inspiration we get from these conversations. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky that I've had a couple of national teachers of the year on my show, a couple state teachers of the year. So we're dealing with people that are really committed to their discipline, really committed to student excellence, and also growing professionally. Mm -hmm. And to hear these people talk about the things that they do in their classroom, or even what they do outside of the classroom, you know, that's one of the questions that I ask is, what's something that you do outside the classroom that you feel that pays off inside the classroom? And for me personally, I feel that's the most revealing because you see how people go the extra mile for themselves or more importantly for their students. So for example, on one of my early episodes, Arielle Sachs, she teaches middle school English in Brooklyn, New York. She talks about how she walks the neighborhoods where her kids live because she doesn't live in the same neighborhood and she gets to see the lives that they live by seeing the street corners, the bodega owners. Jeff Charbonneau, I know he was a guest on, on your show as well. Mm -hmm. He's the 2014 National Teacher of the Year. He talks about how he looks forward to going to sporting events and sitting with the parents. I know some teachers get afraid of that because they're not comfortable having those conversations outside of the classroom. But he says it's a great chance to have relaxed, comfortable conferences. And at the same time, you're rooting on the kids that you're teaching. And they see you there, and they just love it. So part of my show is just finding new ways to connect with inspiring teachers and the other part is just to pick their brain and see what's working for them, where have they been, and also where they want to go as teachers. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. And uh, again, that so, uh, so connects with what I'm, what I'm doing here. Uh, we're um, talking to these amazing teachers and, and hopefully um, providing some, um, some inspiration and maybe some tips and strategies that the next generation of teachers can take and use in the classroom and continue that. And uh, I, you know, I, I think you're doing a great job over there on your podcast and uh, you know congratulations for all your success over there as are you I mean, it's just really reassuring because one of the reasons why I started talks with teachers is I saw us as a profession getting beat up a little bit in yeah. the media in the public's eye and I thought we needed voices to support what we were doing and also to inspire others and you're certainly doing that with your show I'm trying to do that with my show and it's nice because one of the best things I felt from this is through my website and through Twitter, you see other people that are willing to connect. I mean, one of my guests mentioned that the bad teachers aren't on Twitter because the bad teachers don't come home, eat dinner, and then at seven o'clock at night, hop on Twitter to connect with other educators. So you find the people that are passionate, you find the people that are inspired on places like Twitter, on Facebook, and listening to podcasts like The Amazing Teacher. Yeah, that, that, that's so true. What a great quote. The bad teachers aren't on Twitter. That's so true. It was true. actually Dave Burgess who does uh, Teach Like a Pirate. Yeah, I had Dave on the show. He's, he's, he's another one of those amazing teachers that just, uh, I, was, I was telling him before the, before the podcast with him that I read his book and it was a little sad because it, some of the stuff that he was talking about I used to do in the classroom. And I, I kind of miss that now that I'm in, in administration. I miss going in there and like putting on a show and, and making it making it uh, engaging for the kids. You know, I, I have I have other opportunities to do that. But um, yeah, 
that that's what a great quote. The bad teachers aren't on Twitter because <laughs> they're not connecting. They're not looking for ways to improve. And uh, and hopefully, hopefully, if there's any teachers out there who are um, kind of reluctant to get on Twitter, uh, this is one opportunity to to learn and improve your craft and and uh, be a better teacher. You know, and hopefully, um, we can make an impact on, on even those teachers. Because uh, I was talking to um, uh, DeLacy Ganley, Dr. DeLacy Ganley, uh, the teacher ed director at uh, my alma mater, Claremont Graduate School. She was saying that, you know, even those teachers who are not, what you can say, the good teachers, we can find good in them. And if we can find good in kids, we can find good in those teachers as well. And uh, we should do our best to try and uh, look for that good. And it's really encouraging to see that some of the people that have been on my show have been on your show. Like, for example, my first guest, Carol Jago, she's the former president of NCTE. It's the National Council of Teachers of English. She has, I think, something like 9,000 Twitter followers. Wow. And it's not like she has a huge Twitter presence. She tweets maybe once every few days, but it's poignant tweets. Mm -hmm. These are insightful ideas. But it's encouraging to see that 9,000 people follow this one person because she is such an inspiring resource. Right. I, I need to, I need to uh, contact her and get her on the show. I'm sure she does. Definitely. I have a lot, a lot to offer. Uh, Brian, the purpose of the podcast is to sit down with amazing teachers as yourself and, and, and pick their brains for tips, strategies, and ideas that new teachers can take into the classrooms and uh, be amazing. Now, I know in your experience as a teacher and as, and as a podcaster interviewing these uh, uh, inspiring teachers, you've run across many amazing teachers. Can you tell us what are some qualities that are common in the amazing teachers that you have come in contact with? I think the first thing, without a doubt, is an unwavering passion and love for their discipline. So the great English teachers, if you cut them, they bleed literature. <laughs> the great science teachers love to experiment and probably do it at home besides the classroom. The great math teachers just love and are fascinated by numbers mm -hmm. and the complexity of them and how they fit into systems. So I think number one has to be content. You've got to love what you're teaching because if you don't, Kids are smart enough to pick up on that. They are very, very good at reading body language, reading behavior, and they can tell if you're into what you're teaching or if you're not. So loving content's got to be number one. I think number two is a curiosity. I think the great teachers are always curious about new methods. Sure, they have their tried and true lessons that they use year after year, but they're always looking for new ideas, new ways to connect with students, and new ways to develop materials so that it engages students. And that kind of goes along, I think, with my number three. They're uncomfortable. They're never satisfied with what they do. One of the questions that I constantly ask teachers is, identify a time when a lesson didn't go right and what you learned from that experience. Mm -hmm. And time and time again, my guests always say, there have been so many lessons that go wrong. And it's reassuring to hear that even the great teachers aren't perfect. But what they are willing to do is reflect back on those mistakes and see how they can be better. So I think the great teachers never get satisfied. They're never comfortable with where they are. They always want to be at a better place. And it's coming from a place of love. They want to serve their students to the best of their ability. Uh, great, great. Uh, that reflection piece, a lot of the guests that I've had talk about being able to reflect on a lesson, especially those that, that didn't go well. Um, a lot of teachers might, you know, just 
write it off as, oh, that one, that one, uh, that one, that one didn't work, and then move on to the next one. But I think what you're saying is those amazing teachers will find out why it didn't work and improve for the next time. I know it's even true for me. The lessons that I do second period are tweaked by seventh period yeah. because throughout the course of the day, I'm thinking about body language of students, engagement, how many hands went up, where their eyeballs are. Are they looking at the text? Are they looking out the window? And I'm always thinking about how I can revise things on the fly to better serve my students. Yeah. I went, yeah, when I was teaching, I had uh, four periods of the same, the same lesson, basically. And uh, first period, they were my, almost my guinea pigs. I felt sorry for them because they got they got the the first try. But by fourth the fourth time I, I gave that lesson, all my jokes were working. You know, everybody was engaged. I, I cut out what didn't work and I added what what uh, what maybe the other classes had uh, suggested. So mm. you're right. It's it's a it's a constant uh, improvement. Um, many new teachers, Brian, and even some veteran teachers struggle with classroom management. I know new teachers, this is that, that area where uh, they, have, they have the most difficulty. Uh, what advice would you offer a new teacher who may be struggling with classroom management? I think the best classroom management strategy is having a great lesson. And it's not easy to just say that, but I think the lessons that get kids to interact with each other in a highly manageable way it's not that you're just telling people to turn to their partner and discuss the literature that you're reading, but if you make clear expectations as to the behavior that you want, maybe even if you model the behavior that you want, if you get kids to interact with them, it's so much better than the teacher up at the chalkboard or up at the smart board delivering content to students. I think that's when teachers run into trouble is when they don't engage students. So I think the number one thing has to be have a great lesson plan. Mm -hmm. And a lesson plan that promotes interaction so that the students are doing something instead of just being passive observers. The other thing I would say is understand you may not know what's going on outside of school in your students' lives. I think so many times, and this goes back to my experience teaching in Harlem, students came to class with a lot of baggage, mm -hmm. baggage that I didn't always understand. Some people are fighting their own battles inside their minds. Some people are fighting battles at home. And we need to be compassionate towards those battles. So the best thing to do is to pull a kid aside, maybe at the end of the period, maybe even in passing in the hallway and just say, I noticed you were out of character today. You seemed a little rambunctious, a little talkative. Anything going on that I need to know about? And I think in doing it at those informal moments shows that you're thinking about that student beyond just the period that they're with you. So I think if you show students that you really care about their well-being, it's going to pay off. You mm -hmm. prove you have their back, eventually they're going to come around and have your back as well. So true. So true. Hey, uh, just that, that connection. You, you'll find those kids who may be um, disruptive in other classes will get the rest of the class quiet because they've, they've connected with you. And I think that's so true. So often, the student that is misbehaving in your class, chances are it's misbehaving across the board. Mm -hmm. And I've always looked at it as the personal challenge. Well, obviously there's some lingering issue going on there. There's something deeper than this kid doesn't care about English or he doesn't care about math. Obviously he doesn't care about school. So I've always taken it as the personal challenge of, okay, this kid is disengaged with school in general. How can I be the one to get through to that student? 
And it's not perfect. And there's no magic bullet answer to this. It's just trial and error. Mm -hmm. And you've got to find ways to integrate yourself into that student's mind. So maybe you pick up on the clothes that he's wearing that reveals an interest, whether it's in music or in sports or a hobby. And you use those small things to try to build connections with students. And I think what I said before carries over. It's about showing a student that you care. Because so often the students that misbehave have people that don't care about them or haven't promoted the idea that school is valuable. Right. And so not only do we need to promote our course, we need to promote the fact that we're there for them. We're trying to help them be critical thinkers, be smarter people, but more important, just be aware of the world that's going on around them. And the best way we can do that is by showing that we're aware of who they are as an individual. They're not just a student, they're a person in our classroom. Oh, that, that's so great. That's so great. Great advice, Brian. Um, I think I think it's real easy to to write off a student, you know, after after, you know, maybe uh, half the year is done and the student still hasn't had, you know, any kind of success or just doesn't demonstrate that he cares too much about school or, or the class. Mm -hmm. A lot of teachers might might just write them off. Well, I'm going to deal with the other 35 kids in the class. He can just uh, or she can just uh, fail my class. But uh, I think what, what you're saying is true, that you got to see it as your personal challenge to reach that kid. And, and it doesn't always happen because you just run out of year. But, <laughs> but I, I think those amazing teachers will keep trying until they run out of year. And I think the point you make is dead on. You're going to fail more often than you succeed. And that's part of the experimentation process. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work the first time you try to reach out to a student, but in trying over and over and over again. And like you said, it might, even, might not even succeed that year. But if we have enough teachers doing it year after year after year, eventually it's going to click. Right. So we have to believe in not only ourselves and our ability to connect with students, but also our colleagues, that eventually in the long term, it is going to pay off. That's awesome. And those, those kids, they're going to come back. They're going to come back and they're going to tell you, you know, I didn't do well in your class. I, I failed your class. But... You were my best teacher. You were my favorite teacher. Or I learned so much in your class. That, that, that um, investment of time and care and love that you put into that kid is going to pay off. Maybe not your year, but it will pay off later on. And I think that those are the greatest uh, uh, rewards when they come back and say thank you. And Sam, I absolutely love teaching English. But almost as much as I love teaching English, I love teaching seniors. Because seniors, you see them with all the excitement of the final phase, of the last homecoming, of the prom. At our school, we do a variety show, which is like a talent show. And there's so much excitement that goes along with it. There's also a lot of stress, let's be honest. College applications, SATs for the last time, class rankings. But when you see them when they come back a year or two later, and for some students, it takes four years for them to finally get on track. They bounce around at a junior college. Maybe even they drop out of college for a year or two. But so many students eventually hit that point of maturity where they realize that learning, and not necessarily school, but just learning, is the key ingredient to a successful life. And it's great that they come back and, just like you said, share those experiences with you. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it's never in vain. The, the time you put into a kid, it's never in vain. And, and I think new teachers, uh, they can get frustrated they can get frustrated real fast when uh, their efforts are not are not paying off. Um, but again, um, 
some encouragement. It's never in vain. That effort you're putting into that one student is going to pay off. Again, maybe not right away, but it's going to pay off. Very good. I can remember being that first-year idealistic teacher where I was going to save the world one yeah. student at a time. Yeah. And through the course of a career, you have to learn patience. And you have to learn trust that it's not going to work out every single time. But eventually, through persistence, through patience, and through dedication, and that willingness to not give up on kids, it will pay off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those, uh, those are the moments when, when they, when like, uh, like we mentioned, when they come back and they pay off. Those are the things that, that keep you teaching, keep you inspired, keep you wanting to come back and uh, do what you do. Because uh, mm -hmm. it, be, it can be frustrating sometimes. And, uh, I was talking with, um, again, the, the, the head of teacher ed over at Claremont. Uh, three years is the, the, uh, the life, the term of, uh, of, a, of a teacher, average term of a teacher. Three years and they're out of, out of the profession. And that's sad. Wow. That's sad. Yeah. Um, and it's because of the, uh, of the frustration and, and sometimes the, their stuff that's, you know, not in our control, the policy, the, the lack of funds, um, you know, the large classes, all those uh, contribute to making this job difficult. But we got to focus on why we're doing it. We're doing it not, not for ourselves. We're doing it for those kids and the impact we're having on, on, on the future. And so, um, you know, it, it pays off, new teachers. It pays off. And it's sad to hear that it's just three years because in doing my show, so many teachers have expressed the idea. And these are state teachers of the year, national teachers of the year. Their first year was chaotic and they didn't know which way to turn, which direction they were going. Everyone struggles those early years. But if you stay with it and you're committed to the craft of teaching and developing yourself professionally and engaging with other teachers that can inspire you, you will get better. And through experience and just trial and error in the classroom and finding out who you are as a teacher, what your style is, and how your personality can come through, good things will happen. Right, right. Very good. And it gets easier. And, and now with, with um, the social media and, and Twitter and, and all the support we have, uh, that teachers have, and they, there was no such thing as Twitter or Facebook or podcast when I started teaching. Uh, I was basically on my own. And, yeah. and uh, it was difficult. It was difficult. But now there's so much out there to help new teachers and uh, any teacher just be more successful in the classroom and to, to make this job a little easier and more uh, fulfilling. And I think one thing to caution with new teachers is there is so much out there and at times it could be overwhelming. Right. The best thing to do is find your top five, top five people on Twitter that you turn to for resources or inspiration, the top five websites that you go to for good materials because I know for myself, when I first started teaching and I'm teaching literature and I was always looking for new ideas, new materials, I would spend hours and hours on the internet just Googling things. Mm -hmm. You can be so much more efficient and reduce that risk of teacher burnout if you just hold true to your core, your core people that inspire you, your core websites that have valuable resources. Uh, that's great. Top five. Hopefully uh, in the category of podcast. We have talked with teachers and the Amazing Teacher podcast <laughs> up there in top five. Not necessarily in that order, but, you know, uh, up there. Um, well, awesome. I think we're both doing good things out there, and we're spreading an important message. So it's only going to be a matter of time before we climb those charts. Yeah, <laughs> great, great. Well, Brian, if you could sit down with a new teacher just starting out in their career and you had time for just one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, 
I would say find ways to integrate yourself into the classroom without being overbearing. And by integrate yourself, what I mean is whatever it is that you like to do outside of school. For me, I'm a basketball coach. So I'll talk about SportsCenter top 10 highlights with kids. I also really enjoy looking at art. So when we're reading Grapes of Wrath, I'm pulling up photographs from the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl. When we're talking about poetry, I'm having kids analyze works of art that I like so they can see how a painter constructs a painting with composition, with color, with form, and how that's somewhat mirrored in poetry because the devices a poet uses, symbolism, metaphors, similes, paradox, is very similar to the techniques of a painter. So I like to bring part of myself so the students know who I am and I connect the things that I'm passionate about to what I'm teaching. So I'll say to teachers, don't be afraid to be yourself. There's that old teaching axiom of don't smile before Christmas. I don't know if I believe that. I think you need to reveal part of yourself and you don't need to bring everything into the classroom, but you need to let them know that you're more than just an English teacher. You're someone that's passionate about basketball. You like art. So they can see you as a person, a person with interests. You know, that, that smile, uh, don't smile before Christmas, that term has been used like four or five times on, on, uh, on the podcast here, but all in like in a negative way. It's not, yeah. it's not, no, it's no longer something that's, that's uh, seen as a correct kind of um, practice in teaching. It's, 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 um, and I'm glad, I'm glad that we're not, we're not following that anymore because, uh, who was it? Um, I think it was Dave Burgess. He was talking about, you know, be happy, be happy in class. And, and talking about Dave, he also mentioned about bringing your passions into class, being a passionate teacher. He talked about, uh, doing, doing that exactly what you're talking about. And I used to, I like music, you know, I, I, I play the keyboard and guitar. I used to bring my my keyboard and guitar in and, and we'd sing songs uh, in class. And these are eighth graders. So it was kind of odd, but you know, that, that, that was my thing. And I think that, I think that's totally, totally correct. Totally right. Uh, to bring part of yourself into the class. Great advice, Brian. Great and advice. I was somewhat cautious in the way I worded that, because I think the mistake of many a new teacher is they try to be the student's friend and they think that's bringing themselves into the classroom. And I've seen good teachers get burned because of it. And you've got to remember, you're not there to be their friend. You could be a mentor to a student, but you're the adult that's there to instruct them, not only on content, but also on how to learn. It's not about being their friend, because if you try to be your, their friend, they're not going to look at you as a teacher. They're not going to look at you as the mature adult. They're going to see you as juvenile. And like I said before, they pick up on these things, the teachers that are looking for attention. Bring yourself but don't bring friendship. Great, great advice. Great advice. And I, I find my, I found myself doing that when I first started teaching because you don't want, you don't want them to not like you. You, you want them to, you know, like coming to your class, but sometimes you can cross that line and, um, and it, like you say, it can burn you in the end. Great advice. Great advice. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, Brian, that has inspired you as a teacher? Uh, so many to choose from, but one that's been in my mind lately is an Einstein quote. And he said that I never, let me just see if I can, yeah, that's what it is. I never teach my pupils. I only attempt to provide the conditions in which they can learn. And I think that's something that we're hearing a lot with the Common Core is that we shouldn't be providing direct instruction. So I'll use my discipline as the example. In English, when we're teaching Lord of the Flies, I shouldn't be the one telling the students, 
that when Piggy's glasses get shattered, it's a symbol of his loss of sight. Or that when the conch shell breaks, that innocence has been shattered. What I need to do is create the conditions in which students can discover these things for themselves. So as a teacher, my job is to create atmosphere. It's not about me in front of the classroom telling them what I think of the books. It's about them discovering on their own. And on my podcast, so many teachers have talked time and time again. The thing they love about the classroom is that moment of discovery when students get it for themselves. And especially in English, if I tell them what I think of these works, they're not actually learning. They're just memorizing. But if I can create the conditions for them to think for themselves, that's going to carry over into everything that they do, not just English. So true. Create atmosphere. What a great, uh, great quote. Teachers create atmosphere. Awesome. And I find myself removing myself more and more from the classroom as I teach. So early in my career, it was me up there doing a lot of the talking, a lot of the questioning, and now it's presenting the literature and seeing where it goes. So it's less scripted, which can be unnerving for some teachers because they like to have every question planned out. But I want to see what they think and see where we need to go from there. Right. You know, I, I, taught, I taught history, American history, and um, the Common Core is kind of changing the way uh, I talk because I was, I was up there, you know, putting on a history show, almost like a uh, performer. Uh, but mm -hmm. now with, with Common Core, they, they want, uh, they want um, more as, more teachers as more as a facilitator, not necessarily as a, as a storyteller. And, uh, and I think, I think uh, in English and language and in, uh, with English and history, uh, that's, that's a change that's going to be difficult for, for some teachers. And I really, I first realized that when I started teaching AP, because the AP exam is a difficult exam to study for. With AP literature, they're going to give you poems you've never seen before. They're going to give you an excerpt from a novel that in all likelihood you've never read. And what they're testing you on is not did you understand Hamlet? Did you get the symbols in The Great Gatsby? What they're testing you on is can you read on the spot? Can you unpack a work that you've never seen before and not only understand it, but analyze it and see how the individual parts of composition connect to the whole effect? And that's a skill, and that's a skill that can only be taught through repeated practice of reading closely at a text. Right, right, and that you know, one, and once you get it, you can you can um, use it. In you can any, read anything. Yeah, you can read anything and get it. Very good, very true. Um, great, great advice there, um, and great quote, uh, Brian. So, Brian, what's happening now in your life that you are excited about? Uh, basketball season just ended a little while ago for us, so I have a little bit more free time. Uh, I'm enjoying prepping my kids for the AP exam. That's coming around less than a month. So we're doing a poetry unit right now. We're calling it the top 20 Stabnik poems because every time I hand out a poem in class, I say, oh, this is the top five Stabnik poem. This is a top 10 Stabnik poem. So we're finally rounding out the top 20. Another really cool thing that I just I'm crazy about. I started this about three years ago because I coach basketball, because it's late March. I do a March Madness in my AP literature class. So we spend a day seeding the 32 best works that we've read all year. So the number one seeds are 1984, Grapes of Wrath, Macbeth, The Dead. And the number one seed in the first round plays the number eight seed. So one day in class, I get huge, huge pieces of paper. We tape together about four pieces of paper to make big posters. We do the brackets with all 32 things that we've read. And then over the course of March Madness, so it starts the day after Selection Sunday, the students come in, and as they're due now each day, we vote on 
the head-to-head matchups. So today in class, the poem Ulysses by Tennyson went up against Quarantine, which is a poem by this Irish poet, Ivan Bolin. And we do that leading up to the national championship with college basketball. And the best part about it is kids get defensive about literature. That's awesome. One kid loves Ulysses, another kid loves Quarantine, and they start arguing right in front of you in the middle of the classroom. And so the kids that you saw all year long that you thought the words were just going in their minds and coming right back out and they were just reading along, they're actually showing true emotion about literature. So as an English teacher, there's nothing better than that. Oh, that's awesome. That is, that is great. What a great, uh, great activity. Yeah, I know some history teachers have done it. Like a, there's a global history teacher in my school, once he got wind of it, did a March Madness with, like, I think, dictators over the years mm. to find out who was the most, most ruthless dictator. So there's so many ways that it can be flipped and converted depending on a discipline, but it's just something that the kids look forward to every day. And when we get to the final four, it gets real tense because we're dealing with the best things that we've read that year. And kids take it personally. They want to see the work that they believe in win. And when an upset happens, they get upset. Wow. Wow. What? Yeah, that, that's, that's a great idea. Great idea. And that can be used in uh, pretty much any, uh, any discipline. I mean, teachers can be creative and, and make it work. Yeah, maybe I'll send a picture your way on Twitter because I took a picture of it and I posted it online. So Yeah, send it to me and I'll throw it on the, uh, the show notes. That's awesome. Great. One other thing we got going on with Talks with Teachers, we're going to start this in early April. For some reason, I kept on seeing online that there are 30-day fitness challenges or eight weeks to better fitness. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it would be really cool if we did something for teachers because why should all the fitness buffs have all the fun? Sure. (laughs) So what we're doing is a four-week Nourish Your Teaching Soul challenge in which we've got a small fun project each week, a couple readings that are meant to inspire you, and a video worth watching. And so it's free to do. Teachers can just sign up on our website. And we hope at the end of the four weeks, you'll feel better about yourself as a teacher. You'll feel more connected to other teachers. So it's something worthwhile to check out. Awesome. Great. I'll, I'll, um, I'll put a link to that on the show notes if you, once, you, once you get it up. Um, what a great, uh, great idea. Great idea. So is there anything else, Brian, that you'd like to share with the audience before we say goodbye? The last thing I'll say is I think teaching is a noble profession. And we all have those moments when we doubt ourselves as a teacher. We feel like our work is in vain. I know, especially for myself as an English teacher, I can spend hours writing comments on papers. And then when you see that paper crumbled in the garbage a minute after you handed it out, (laughs) it hurts. I mean, how could you not take it personally because that's your work? And that's one of those ways that you try to reach students is through improving their writing. Don't take everything personally, because as I said before, you never know what battles a student's fighting in their own mind, but you've got to just keep persevering. This is noble work. And most importantly, one of the great feelings I get from teaching is the sense of democratic service. I feel like I'm doing something to better the future of this country by trying to improve the minds of this country. So take pride in what you do because it is worthwhile. Great words of encouragement, Brian. And I, I know the teachers who are listening to the podcast are going to take that to heart and and uh, go in tomorrow or whenever the, the next the next time they, they go into class and they're going to see themselves as, as making a difference in the future. I think that's great. Great advice. Well, I've been inspired just from this interview, so I can't wait to get up tomorrow morning and start teaching again. Yeah, great, great. So, Brian, if people wanted to say thank you for sharing all your insights here on the podcast, 
where can they find you? Uh, you can go to our website, www.talkswithteachers.com. We're also on Twitter. It's TalksWTeachers. And we also have a Facebook page, which is linked to on our website. So if you just go to our website, you can connect with us in any way we have possible. Well, Brian, it's been a sincere pleasure. Uh, it's such a great, great uh, time talking with you. Uh, you're doing awesome work over there on your podcast, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. We're, we're making a difference uh, in, um, in education, and uh, I'm so proud to have you on the podcast here and so happy that you're able to take the time and share your thoughts with me. Sam, you're doing amazing work, too. It's so great to see other people caring about education and willing to go beyond the school day to help other teachers. So keep doing the work that you're doing. It's fantastic. Great. Thank, thank you. Thank you for, for that, Brian. So to the listeners, I know you've received a lot of great information and inspiration in this episode. Now it's up to you to take it back to your classrooms and implement what you learned today. So until next time, be amazing. The Amazing Teacher Podcast is brought to you by successintheclassroom.com. Learn more about being an amazing teacher by visiting successintheclassroom.com or theamazingteacher.com.